0: welcome back to the treatment room i'm your host tessa Zolli, and i'm so happy to be here with you guys i have a special friend on the line who i'm going to chat to today about her experience as a spa owner we actually met from a youtube comment and since then we have become very close friends and we dm a lot but we've never actually gotten the chance to chat, so it's going to be so much fun to talk to her. She is a licensed esthetician with 15 years of experience in the business and a spa owner. I'm so excited to introduce Courtney Parkhill. Court, welcome. And if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and where you live.
1: Sure. So I'm Courtney Parkhill. I've been an esthetician for since 2006, and I started my practice in 2008. And I live in a cute little mountain town. It's called Woodland Park here in Colorado, and it's a, at about 8,600 feet elevation in the mountains. And it's a, it's only 15 miles from a big city, so. It's kind of cool because you you're really close your clients can just zoom right up the mountain and come get a treatment and then go back to the city. So yeah, I um I've I started my practice, you know, like 15 years ago. And I um sorry, I'm really nervous. I think I have to get through this yeah. beginning part. And then I'll be okay.
0: You're doing so good. Your voice is so calm. You would uh, never know.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> My gosh. I just think because your mouth gets so dry, that's like really awkward.
0: <laughs> I like know. I can't drink enough water. <laughs> is that normal? <laughs> yes, it's absolutely normal. I'm always thirsty too. So <laughs> feel free to drink water. Okay. It's all good. I'll You're get doing through awesome. this part. Thank you. Yes. No, your spa sounds like... <laughs> A little oasis in the mountains. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I started it, um, you know, down in the city a long time ago, but I moved into a tiny house um, like six years ago. And the only place you could put a tiny house at the time legally was in this little village um, up here in Woodland Park. So I knew I wanted to live tiny, and it Mm -hmm. was my first home. So I went ahead and purchased it and had it built. And then um, I moved up here and I was just commuting and going to the city to my practice down in the springs. And then I just kind of was like, what if I opened something up here in the mountains? Like, I wonder if anybody would come up here. And so I was really nervous. And I just got like a really cute little suite um, that wasn't too expensive. And I tried it. And then the whole pandemic hit. And, you know, what happened after that? We all got shut down. So I was yeah. kind of grateful that I was in like a really small space at that point because I couldn't work anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I got back from Costa Rica, that's a whole other story. I was stuck there during the pandemic and I couldn't get home. Um, but when I got hey, back, I, I was like, know
0: about that.
1: yeah, yeah, that's a story we could talk about. Um,
0: okay. We I'll tell you probably in- first met then around that time,
1: right? Yeah, I think so because I was I coming so. home. And I just started my skincare line because that's what I was doing when I was stuck there. So there was nothing else to do. (laughs) Okay. But yeah, I, I, um, I was in Costa Rica. Me and my husband were building a house and like another tiny house. And, um, what ended up happening was the government during the pandemic during COVID like shut the borders down so nobody could fly Mm -hmm. in or out. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And, um, So we were literally just like stranded in the jungle and we were like, oh my God, at least we were staying with our neighbors and building a house at the time, but our house was not built. It was just literally like a piece of ground.
0: (laughs) So you had just planned to stay with neighbors for a little while? Yeah,
1: we kind of were just renting their little back casita for three months. And then the minute we got there... The pandemic happened like two weeks later and the government said, can you kindly shelter in place? Um, We'll honor your visas and let you stay as long as you need to. But we just we're not going to have flights coming in and out for a while. So we were like, "Okay, we'll do that. Like we'll stay in the jungle and just (laughs) hang out. (laughs) It wasn't that bad, you know.
0: Yeah, no, it I seems mean. like a good place to be creative. And, and actually, if you're going to be anywhere planning a skincare line, that seems like a good place yeah. to do it.
1: Right? Yeah, and the internet was really bad where we were. So I I couldn't like be online all day. And I, I just had to sit with myself in the jungle and like be creative and think up products and ideas and what I wanted my skincare line to be. So it worked wow. out pretty well. Okay,
0: well, yes, I want to get into the skincare line. But we might have to circle back because I want to give people more insights into who you are. Maybe okay. you could walk us through how you found aesthetics and what your journey has been like <laughs> during this 15 years of, okay. of your experience. I want to hear about, you know, first jobs and how you kind of wound up where you are now.
1: Yeah. Okay. So let's go Back to the beginning, I was living in California where I'm from. I was in San Diego, and I was in my 20s, my mid-20s, and let's see, I, was, I went to a community college and ended up transferring to UCSD to study art history because I had really no idea what I wanted to do with my life. So I at least knew that the only thing I liked in college was art. Nothing else really interested me. So I was working on putting myself through college and working and, um, you know, I had had all kinds of jobs like, you know, modeling in LA and working at a celebrity denim boutique in San Diego. And um, then basically I got my degree in art history and I was like, okay, well now what? I'm 29 years old. And I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Like I'm almost 30 and I had no, I was such a late bloomer. I had no idea what was next. So I remember like having my degree from college and going, yay. And I was so proud of myself that I had put myself through college and it took me like six years to get that piece of paper. And, but then I was like, oh crap, now I have to pay my bills. And like, what's next, you know? So I ended up driving down the street and I saw this huge spa And it was just in Del Mar, uh, San Diego. So beautiful, like a resort type spa, like really luxurious and beautiful. And I just walked in and I I walked straight into the spa and I looked around and I was like, I want to work here. I don't care what I have to do. I'll clean toilets. And I literally walked in and was like, can I talk to the owner or the boss? And um, her name was Sherry Cooley and she was the spa director at the time at the sanctuary spa and she came out and met with me and just like randomly brought me in her office and we just started talking. And, um, I was like, I just, I just want to work here. I think it's so beautiful and I just want to be here. (laughs) So weird. And, um, I love that.
0: I love that you took that initiative and you, because I did something similar and I think it's really smart when you are attracted to something and you get that feeling, you have to go for it rather yes. than just wait for it to come to you. So I love that.
1: Yeah. Yep, I just kind of went with it on an impulse and an instinct. Um and then at the end of it, she ended up hiring me and I I got to be the spa coordinator and the receptionist at the front desk and I was answering phones and I think we had like 10 or 15 therapists. We had like nail tech, massage, we had aestheticians. Um we had everything. and We had like 15 skincare lines, all the top, you know, brands at the time. It was so cool. I got to learn everything about how, how you run a spa and the ins and outs and the the hospitality and how to welcome a client when they walk in and take them to the relaxation area and give them hot tea and give them a robe and, you know, just make them feel comfortable.
0: Yeah. Yes, so, which is yeah. so important. And... I feel like it is good for everyone listening to hear because sometimes people wonder if if there is a stepping stone before aesthetics. And I feel like that's the kind of position where you really can learn a lot about the behind the scenes and even just how to relate to clients and how to be that first experience they have stepping into the spa.
1: Yeah, it's a magical feeling. I mean it's low lighting and nice music and hot tea and a fluffy robe. And you just, you just feel so relaxed, you know, and you can't wait for your treatment and you're just sitting there waiting. And so anyways, I worked there for like a year and a half and all the estheticians started saying, Hey, can I do practice this treatment on you? Or, Hey, can I give you this facial? Or they would train a new esthetician. They'd grab me from the front desk and be like, you know, let me do a Brazilian on you. Let me do a peel on you. Let me do a facial on you. And I was like the guinea pig. So I could never afford treatments before that. So I didn't even know what a nice facial felt like. So then, you know, the first time you get a real facial, what it's like, it's like the most amazing feeling ever. You know, you're just like in this warm bed and, you know, they're massaging your face and they're doing extractions and giving you beautiful skin, but then also just making you feel so peaceful. And I don't know, there was just nothing like it. As soon as I felt that feeling in the treatment room, I I wanted to do that for other people. I wanted to give that experience to other people. So that's kind of when I knew.
0: I love that yeah. you had kind of like an epiphany. And so at that point, were you thinking, I'm done with art history i'm invested yeah
1: Yeah, definitely i was i had looked around at some museums in san diego to work at and i was considering getting my you know phd in art or whatever and it just looked like a lot more school that i didn't want to do and just not the the industry just felt a little bit cold for me and i wanted something a little bit warmer where i could be like a therapist Mm -hmm. and a healer and you know work in the hospitality realm so yeah, I realized like at that moment, and I think I even went to I enrolled in aesthetic school like probably the next day at night, <laughs> like right away. So I was answering phones at the spa during the day, and then at night I was going to SD school.
0: <laughs> Amazing! Oh, so did you go to SD school in California?
1: I did. Yeah, I went in San wow. San Marcos. Okay. It was the Palomar Institute of Cosmetology, and they had an aesthetics department, and it was 600 hours, and it was 5 p.m. to 10 p.m., Monday through Friday, for six months. Yep. Yep. You remember that? Did you do that too? Yep.
0: Exactly (laughs) what I did those late nights.
1: (laughs) I know, right? They were (laughs) fun, though.
0: Yeah. It's just like, yeah, it's like nothing you've ever done before because all of a sudden you're surrounded by people who are into what you're into and you can share in that and you're all starting something new for the mm-hmm. first time together. Which, yeah. Yeah. It yeah. it seems like it's going to be so long when you first start and you're like, this is never going to end. I'm never going to get to where I want to go. Right. And you're out of it. And you're like, that was just a blink.
1: <laughs> it was a blink. It was just a blip on the screen. Of your whole career yeah. that's ahead of you, and you're going to learn exactly. so much more.
0: Yes. So you must be feeling pretty confident now as Nesty, right?
1: I am. Yeah, I do. I feel really confident now with what I do. I'm not as confident at like speaking about it and teaching about it, but I'm definitely you know. when I'm in it and I'm working, I'm, I'm in my zone. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> yeah. How... How long would you say it took you to start developing that confidence? And what was that journey kind of like for you? Was it, was it tough since you were starting something new a little bit later in life? Did it come easy?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. I remember feeling really nervous and really awkward at first. I wasn't one of those people that in school, I just like got it right away. You know, the girls in school that were just like, (laughs) they were like blowing through the facials like they'd done it a million times. And I'm looking over at them going, how are you doing that? Oh my gosh, you're so good already. But no, were you kind of uncomfortable at first too?
0: Oh yeah. I tell this story all the time. I was really timid and nervous and um, it just took a while to really get in the swing of things. And I think that's where you just have to start touching faces and you just have to get past that point. Um, but it does take time. And I don't think there's any shame in that at all.
1: Yeah. I was definitely a very shy <laughs> beginning esthetician. I remember like the first facial I had in school, you know how you, when you go on the floor and you start yeah. taking clients, Yes. the first person I got was a guy with a big beard. And I was like, what am I going to do with this? Right. I didn't even. So I was like massaging his forehead the whole time and his <laughs> nose. It <laughs> was really Probably silly. good to him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I was like, I can't. I don't. Am I supposed to massage the beard? Like, I don't know. All this product right. is gonna get stuck in there. Right. So, yeah, yeah, it took me maybe like, I want to say the first year, maybe two years. Honestly, what if it was even three, if I'm honest?
0: Until I felt
1: very, very secure. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Would you say it took a few years too for you?
0: It took, so in my first job, the boss I had, she was a cosmetologist and our manager, but she wasn't an SD. So when I gave her facials, there wasn't much feedback. And maybe that was a good stepping stone for me at first to kind of build some confidence. But when I got to my next job, my boss was very real with me. And she was like, you seem very nervous. Your touch is very light. And I had never really had anybody tell me like, want to feel a little bit of pressure um you know they Mm -hmm. don't want to feel like you're so scared to touch them so for me then I kind of had to relearn and I had to get real with myself and and kind of reckon with that like I am a little bit nervous and I've just gotta give it all and like leave it all on the table and once I got it I really got it um so yeah I I can't decide when it clicks There's yes. just a moment. Uh-huh.
1: I don't know when it clicks, but all of a sudden you've done it a thousand times or a million times you feel like, and then exactly. it just kind of clicks. And then you're in yeah. a flow and you're like, I got this. I'm doing this.
0: <laughs> right. Right. It's not just the yeah.
1: technique. It's like touching people, yeah. being close with people. It's a very intimate skin yeah. typing, you know, doing yes. the right thing for the right face, giving them product, talking about product. It's so many things. There's so many details. Right uh, that you have to get confident and and that takes a while to practice, I think,
0: yes, there are so many hats we wear, mm-hmm. which is I think why it's overwhelming sometimes, especially going from a school environment to a job where people are you know paying good money to get these services, and it's like you' kind of have to compartmentalize a lot of things, you're giving the treatment, you're educating. You're analyzing. You have to mm-hmm. kind of be self-aware mm-hmm. and in tune with people. So, I, I feel like it's it's not a job that um, I'd say it's a job that could easily be kind of underestimated.
1: Right, because you have to do all of that on the inside while looking very poised and seeming yes. very, you know, confident <laughs> and calm and all of these things that you might not be feeling on the inside. And that's totally normal too, I would say if if you're new and beginning, but yeah, school was amazing. I got my, you know, my license and I couldn't get hired at that resort because you had to have like four years experience. So I went down Mm -hmm. the street to this other little cute spa and um, it was like a little salon with like two little rooms in the back. And there was a, very experienced esthetician that worked there, and then they they let me have the other room. So, my very first job at a esty school, I just went ahead and just got my own room and was making commission on treatments and uh, walk-in clients, and basically getting mentored by this other woman that was there that was so kind as to show me so many things, everything basically about waxing and brows and facials. So, I was that happy. That must to have be been there. really.
0: Yeah. I think that's so important to find somebody who Mm kind of takes you under their wing when you're so new and is willing to show you things. So I'm glad you had that.
1: That Yeah. I think that's the way to go, especially if you want to have your own spa one day. I think it's great just to go work somewhere for even a year and then maybe go out on your own after that. Is that kind of what you did too?
0: Yeah. So, well, for me, I have worked two different places and I, I always say that too, Court. I really recommend it. Um and people ask, like, I'm thinking about, you know, starting something of my own. And I just it is a big investment, uh, not only financially, but you're gonna be really putting, mm-hmm. you know, everything you have into this business. And once you're locked in, you're kinda locked in. Um, so I just think there's no rush. And there's no reason not to work for somebody else, even if it's, you know, in, in a way that you did, Courtney, where you're behind the scenes or working at the front desk. There's so much you learn about how a business is run and what makes it successful. And there are spas I go to to this day where the service is kind of mediocre. And, mm-hmm. you know, even if you were to say something, it it's just it's not on their radar. It's not it's it's very clear when a business um, has high standards and you want, you want to learn in those types of environments or you want to learn from the places that don't have many standards, but you don't know what you don't know. So right. for me, in the first spa I started at, I wouldn't have known there was a better type of facial. And so when I got into my second job, my boss was very good about explaining, like, just this, the little details, you know, of the treatment that are really the big things, but I would have never thought about that, like, cleaning Mm up um, my space, you know, so when the client opens their eyes, they don't see all the bowls and everything out, or just really taut sheets when they walk in the room, and, you know, a little bit of, essential oil something, those small touches that, you know, people don't necessarily pick up on, Mm -hmm. um, consciously, but they do. It's, I think it's really about the little things. And so if you don't learn from anyone else, it's, it's hard to know what the standard should be.
1: Yep. And I remember the first thing I learned about owning a spa before I even had my own spa was that, the resort I worked at, um, I had learned that like one in two spas go out of business due to high overhead. I don't know if you ever realized Mm -hmm. that, but, um, yeah. So I learned that from the spa director I worked with because she was the one doing all the expenses and buying all the supplies and keeping all the products in inventory. And she was saying one in two spas will go out of business due to high overhead. So you have to be really careful with what you spend because you could, you know, in order to make a certain amount, you have, you don't want to spend all of that as well, then you're not making anything at all. (laughs) So yeah, it's like 50%. You know, if you make a hundred thousand gross, you're probably spending about 50,000 to make that hundred thousand has been my recipe so far in 15 years of doing this. Um, I don't know why it works out that way. I just think our industry is very expensive. I think that our supplies are really expensive. I mean, even just buying one peel and I have like a bunch of peels, it's like a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars for your back bar. So all of that stuff adds up. And I think our industry is more expensive than other industries like massage or hair, where they don't have to have as many different types of products to use on people. So I, I knew right away, I was like, okay, if I ever do this, I know this recipe and I know not to spend too much and be really careful with my overhead. And that was always something that I wanted to keep in mind when I started Alpenglow in 2008.
0: Are there any specific ways you put that into your practice, Um, such as, you know, a certain amount of retail you purchase, Or any sort of um, just careful kind of restrictions you put on what you buy?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not like, like I said, a real math and science person, and I don't have a business degree. So I definitely go off of instinct and feel Mm -hmm. for most of what I do in my practice. And I've just found a flow of ordering in small increments Mm -hmm. um, and trying to stock, say, for example, if you have one brand, that you carry, try to order like the top ten products or the top five products that you know are going to sell really well, and just keep those as your hero products on the shelf. And then hopefully the companies that you work with will offer um, you know retail landing pages for your clients to get the other products that they might have, um, or a drop mm-hmm. shipping type of service so that you don't have to yeah. carry all of the physical inventory.
0: Yes. I'm very grateful more professional brands are starting to do that. I mean, it's really the only way I'm able to sell retail um, Mm -hmm. because I don't have a physical location. So that's been huge for me, but it just makes so much sense. And I think more and more customers want to shop online anyway. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense to meet them there. And then the SD doesn't have to take on a huge burden, which especially if you're new and just opening a business that can be really daunting to think about buying all of that back stock
1: yeah and before the pandemic before drop shipping even was a thing for me at least it was very expensive for me to keep things in stock so i was kind of struggling like okay do i order pca this month or Epicurin? and i would kind of like stagger it out so i didn't have to buy everything all at once Maybe like little shipments of like $500 here, $1,000 here or whatever, or spend $2,000 and then not order for three months and try to just stagger it out like that. But that's one good thing that the pandemic did was when I was stuck in Costa Rica, um, my online store that I created myself for my clients um, on my square was I was able to keep that going. Because um, all of my lines that I carried would drop ship for me on my behalf, even though I was out of the country, which is so cool. I know they knew I was going to go out of business if they didn't do that. (laughs) And I think that they literally didn't want me to go out of business. So they were like, well, we'll help you in any way we can.
0: Right. Well, people still need their products, too, even though they can't Mm
1: -hmm. get into
0: you. So, I, I mean, it's smart for the consumer and the esthetician. And even these, these businesses, because they still need to move product and, and sell at mm-hmm. the same time. So mm-hmm. I think it works out for everybody.
1: It does. It really does. And I would say before the pandemic, I used to think services were 50% and product was 50%. But honestly, since the pandemic, it's moved yeah. towards more of an 80-20, like an Which 80% is... results from the products only, and then 20% treatments. Yes. That's just kind of how it yep. evolved. Would you say that yeah. you've seen that shift as well?
0: Well, since well you're all most, products. So you, yours might be a hundred percent. Well, I, st- I, I still do some um, virtual treatments and facials, but That's yeah, so cool. it's, it's really crazy because I was so that hands-on person. I would have never thought, you know, through FaceTime, you could start creating treatment plans. So it's been pretty incredible to see as like a little mm-hmm. experiment, you know, how do people do when we're just relying on home care? And yeah. I always encourage people to get facials if they can. Um, and that's so important too. But I think we we understand what they're doing every day and putting on their skin every day at home is um, going to make the biggest difference.
1: Yes. It's going to have a powerful impact for sure.
0: Yes. So So, Court. Yes. How did you decide and what kind of went into finally opening your spa? Because I just, I think that's so Mm -hmm. cool. It's a lot, but how did you, how did you decide that you wanted to open your own location?
1: So it was 2008 and I had just moved from San Diego to Colorado And I was working at a couple of little spas in town in the city at the time in the Springs, and they were only honestly paying $8 an hour, if you can believe that. What? I'm not joking. Are you kidding? I literally had, I think I had three spa jobs and I could not even afford to pay my bills. (laughs) And I was like, this "This is not even going to work for me. This doesn't Mm -hmm. work. Like, how am I even going to live, you know? Right. So... I remember thinking, I have to start my own. Like, I didn't even really want to do that, but Mm -hmm. I thought this might be the only way that I can make a living is to start my own practice. And then, so I sat down and I made a list of all of the things I would need to buy in order to do that. And it, um, I tallied up the list and it ended up being like $5,000 total, (laughs) which, I mean, I guess it's a lot of money, but it's kind of not a lot of money for a, To own your own business either, I don't think. So I was like, okay, I had this little mutual fund that I'd been hanging on to forever and ever from my mom from when I was young. And she had passed away and I'd held on to it. And I knew that at some point in my life, I was going to use it for something really special and really important that I knew she would support me in. So I, I liquidated that and I used it. To buy all those things on the list. And I went and rented a cute little suite in this like 100 year old Victorian up in the attic. It was so small. Oh my gosh, it was like so small. And it was only like 150 a month rent or something like that. So I remember thinking like, okay, I can I can do like a facial or two and pay this the rent at least and I'll be fine. And that's all you have to think about is just paying your rent and then everything else will fall into place. So, yeah, I went and bought everything and I decorated that little room and um, I then I had to get clients. And that was the hard part. Oh, yes. Yeah. The <laughs> hardest part ever is like building your clientele, because especially if you're starting from nothing. Um, I think I had like five or 10 people that I started with just because of all the other spa jobs that I was working at when I quit, I kind of told them, you know, Hey, I'm gonna start my own thing. Yeah. And they found me. So, um, they were my original, I think I started with like 10 people. And then from there, I remember opening in May of 2008 and literally the recession that crashed the economy happened the same week. I opened my doors. (laughs) I think opening that week, it, like only a mir- by a miracle of God was I going to stay in business and, and keep yeah. going and even make it to begin with. And I had all the grit and all the fight yeah. in me and all the drive and all the passion to do that. So at the time, there was no way of getting clients on Instagram or anything like that. Right. So I, I went on, unfortunately, at the time, the only thing that you could do was Craigslist. I don't know if you remember Craigslist. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> But yep. um, it was before it was creepy, and you, <laughs> I, I would make these little cute spa flyers and like post them and be like, "Come get a facial with me at my new spa." It was so silly. I
0: love um,
1: it. Yeah, and people found me on there, and then I had business cards, and I would walk downtown Colorado Springs to all the bars at night and go uh-huh. to happy hour, and I would walk into the bars, have a glass of wine and like give my cards out to everyone and be like, please come see me. Please come see me. And I basically begged people to come see me. (laughs) Did it work? Yeah, it worked. It did. I got clients on Craigslist. I got clients from passing out cards and meeting people. And then the word of mouth kicked in. Yeah. And then six months from then I was honestly like booked. I was like booked out like a month or two. I'm not saying I was making a lot of money, but I'm just saying I was I was you had people getting in the door. I had people in the door and they were rebooking <laughs> and it was a really good feeling. I was very happy.
0: Oh, that's amazing. <sighs> you must have been really proud to have, I mean, really built everything from the ground up.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just I was so like I did not expect myself to become a business owner because I just didn't think I had it in me and I didn't know what it was mm-hmm. going to take to do it in the first place. Um I remember like Googling, how do you run a business? And then like the first thing that <laughs> popped up, I think I did that. <laughs> but honestly, it was just kind of a everyday wait and see. I was learning as I went along and kind of just hustling and using my instincts. And, yeah. um, and I really loved what I was doing. So I think people can feel that too, you know?
0: Knowing what you know now about business, what do you think are some of the qualities that that support you in your business, because I felt the same way. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I, I never thought I really had what it took either. And mm-hmm. I always saw myself as more of an employee because I am more soft spoken, shy, um, not the most like, quote unquote, like, leadery kind of person.
1: Right, me either.
0: <laughs> but I don't know if that, that kind of um, archetype is necessarily Mm-mm. true for everyone. So what are, I want to hear more about some of your qualities that allow you to be a great business owner.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think you have to be like a hardcore leader, uh, outspoken, you know, confident person. I for me, I remember taking my personality test in college, and it was the Myers-Briggs, and it came back, mm-hmm. I I I don't know what you are. I'm I imagine you're an I. It. Anyways, um, I think like realizing that my personality was actually the perfect personality to be an esthetician was what kind of fueled my fire. I was like, okay, I'm deeply introverted. I'm a severe loner, like I'm such a loner. I love my alone time. Oh my gosh, it's kind of a problem. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, I like being alone. I'm very comfortable being alone and I'm very comfortable with silence. And I think when you're an esthetician and you're in a room with another person, you have to be comfortable with silence and again, that intimacy and that vulnerability and that touch that's involved in giving them a great treatment. Because I mean, if I was being loud and outspoken and talking the whole time, I don't know that my clients would like that very much. So <laughs> I figured out early on that like all of the things I thought were weaknesses, like being shy, being quiet, being introverted, being a loner, I thought those things were bad, but they're, a- they're actually what makes a really good esthetician too. Would you agree yes. with me on that?
0: Totally. And I, I think um, it's so interesting that that just being really good at, at one thing, at being a great esthetician allowed you to become a great business owner too. There's more room for opportunity these days if you can be an expert in one thing. And I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that about aesthetics, that there can be more opportunity, um, just from us being really good at our craft. And I would encourage listeners to even think about within aesthetics, what they're really, really good at. And I know for you, Courtney, Mm -hmm. you love skin, right?
1: I do. I love skin.
0: So was it difficult to kind of narrow that down and realize this is what you really wanted to hone in on, or did you just always kind of know that from the get go?
1: No, I didn't know. It evolved slowly. I I started out doing more waxing in the beginning and that was kind of what I did started to do really well was like speed waxing. And, um, I got trained by a celebrity brow artist. So I was doing a lot of brows and, um, and then the whole like laser thing hit and like lasers came out and then microblading came out and then like nobody did that anymore. So that's when I very easily shifted into doing more skincare anyways, which was what I would would have preferred to be doing all the time because I loved doing corrective treatments, very relaxing, but very results oriented because you can have them, you can have both in one world, I believe. So, yes. so yeah, I just, um decided my niche was going to be focusing on the skin problems I was seeing all the time around me in the city and in the mountains and in Colorado in general. And it was ma- mainly like dehydrated skin, um, rosacea, um, pigmentation, like melasma, and um, a lot of different grades of acne. So the, and, and then of course aging. So it was like five things that I was seeing on a consistent basis. And I thought, how cool if you could go get a treatment that totally relaxed you, but also changed your skin and put your clients on like a prescription regimen where they're using your home care, they're replenishing mm-hmm. the home care from you. So you've that as your extra passive income as well. Right. And then you have them on a treatment plan and they're coming in. I have my clients either monthly every two months or every quarter are the only options. I tell people if they want to just come in once a year for a fluff and buff, I'll really, if you beg me, I'll really do it for you. But I'm, (laughs) that's not what I do.
0: I have a question. Because I
1: want to see you. I want to see you. Yeah. Yeah. What's your question?
0: (laughs) So when it comes to, to kind of implementing your rules or, um, you know, laying down, I don't want to say laying down the law but you're kind of just <laughs> kind of just outlining how they will get the best results. Like you're thinking of them and you want to implement a program that is going to p- benefit them and you don't want to set yourself up to be in a position where you're not yielding the results. So, I wanted to ask how is it as a more soft-spoken person to implement boundaries and, and kind of the rules of your business?
1: Oh, geez. Wow. That's a loaded question, Tess. (laughs) (laughs) That's one I'm learning every day, like do's and don'ts. I'm definitely still making mistakes with that. Um, but I, I think, let's see, I'll talk about for me, the consultation is my—it's the very first appointment you can make with me, and I basically won't even touch your skin until we have an hour where we sit down and talk about your skin, and what your expectations are, and how I can help you. Uh, mean based on what I do and what I specialize in, because what I find is people will come in and they'll be having this whole other expectation, and they won't even really know what I do exactly. So. Um, I basically look at the consult as it's not an interview for your client because they're kind of interviewing you as well, but you're kind of seeing in that hour, if you are a good match for that personality and that if you, what you offer is what they need and if they're going to be committed to that process and that, and that if they're going to be compliant to kind of the do's and don'ts to get the results in the first place, otherwise it is a waste of time, you know, for both people. So... I feel like I'm a little bit strict about that. Yeah, it seems a little strict and I, I feel bad doing it sometimes, but the times I haven't done that and I just let someone in my treatment room and I just do a nice relaxing facial on them and then then I never see them again because we have no treatment plan. They didn't buy the product that I wanted them to buy. They had no expectations of what I w- wanted out of them. And I just found that it kind of like hurt my schedule a little bit because I only have so... M- so much time that I can do treatments. So it's like, I want to make the most of the time that I have in the treatment room with the people that really are benefiting from me on all aspects, not just treatments, but products as well.
0: I think that's so smart. And I, I realize that the more, the more time I spend running my business, that it's it's the clients where you didn't reinforce the expectation from the beginning that they're not invested and then they're confused while the, why they're not seeing what they want to see. And you're a little um, off foot because you wish you had done that from the beginning. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's when I'm lazy and I don't do something that it comes back to bite me in the butt. <laughs> Or or you get the text, maybe
0: lazy, but sometimes you want to appease people, mm-hmm. you know, and you want to yeah. you want to be a yes person, but mm-hmm. I think it's just proof we have boundaries for a reason, right?
1: Yes, definitely, and it's really hard because you do feel bad when you tell someone, hey, if you don't follow. My recommendations—you're probably not going to see results, and you're going to be really upset with me. So I have to tell you exactly the steps that need to be taken in order for you to get those results. And we—we're we, a team. We're going to do this together, but you're going to do a lot of the work at home. So I just need to make mm-hmm. sure that you understand that. And then usually mm-hmm. they're like, "Okay, yeah, I get right. that." Right. It just takes explaining it in a very detailed way, in a micro-detailed way. So that consult for me is everything because I can be as perfectionist, as OCD, as detailed Mm -hmm. as I want to be. And then they can decide if they even like me enough to come back (laughs) and I can decide too if they're a client that I want to keep or not. So it's kind of a cool way to do it.
0: Yeah. I think it's great that you do that and, and talk more before performing the actual treatment. Because I was just, I was thinking today, it's, I mean, a lot of the spas these days are on a tight, you know how it is when you're in a spa that has such a tight schedule. It's like one after the other, mm-hmm. like there's, the appointments are so stacked. There's no wiggle room in between.
1: Oh, yuck. I Somebody's five it.
0: minutes late, like everything's thrown off. So there's barely any time to really chat. And then it's like you're diving right into this treatment, which who Mm -hmm. knows if they could have, you know, some sort of contraindication for. So I've noticed the spa business just getting more and more rushed and it, it can definitely come back to the esthetician. So I think it's really smart and kind of just a good way to not only safeguard your business, but also just make sure. The client understands the expectation. And like you said, once you tell them the expectation, they're like, okay, uh uh-huh. Like
1: when can I come in? Yeah, exactly. They immediately say, Okay, what do I need? And I put all the products in front of them. I show them how to use them Mm -hmm. morning and night. I say, when you get low on these, you need to replenish on my website in about four to six months. And don't run out, you know, do it a week or two before. And then here's a check in with me, see if we need to switch anything, add anything, take anything away. I'm going to manage this for you so you don't have to, but you're not going to always be on the same stuff. So, you know, we're always mm-hmm. going to be figuring this out together. And it's mm-hmm. like a skincare journey. So I feel like once you set that expectation, they can't wait to get started. They go home, they use the products for four weeks, they come back for their first treatment. And what's cool about that? Is they come in they already know how to do the home care that's already been educated that's already been talked about they come in then i can do the whole relaxation thing and give them the corrective results that they want and we don't have to talk about it because i already know what i'm doing yes. so
0: and the skin is already prepped for you
1: yes the skin is prepped it's not compromised it's not going to flare up over a cleanse you know it's <laughs> that's the most annoying thing ever Right. You're doing a cleanse and they're like bright red and you're like, oh my gosh, I haven't even done anything yet. So
0: exactly. Which is another reason it's better to have an in-depth conversation before you touch somebody's skin.
1: Right. Yep. And most people here in Colorado are compromised just from living here. We just don't have as much humidity and our skin is so dry. So- that's always the issue is let's fix that barrier, let's prep that skin, have you come in, let's do a corrective treatment and maybe do like 4 to 6 in a row and then, you know, put you on a maintenance plan. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward.
0: Okay, you're a it's really kind of good smooth. person to ask this because you're in that like extreme uh-huh. climate. But what would your winter tips or just favorite products or ingredients be for a cold, dry climate during the winter time?
1: Oh my gosh. Okay. So I would say most people are super water dry, but also very lipid dry. So most of my clients are on a hyaluronic acid and a lipid serum, unless they have acne. And then I can't usually use Mm -hmm. too many lipids. Um, so I like to hit that skin at both angles with the water and the oil, because most people are lacking both here. Um, Mm. except for like maybe extreme acne, um, which I don't see a lot of extreme oily acne here. I just see very dry acne here. Mm. So, um, I would say hyaluronic is one of the best products. I would say a lipid glycolipid serum. Um, that's going to be super emollient and hydrating. Um, I would say a really rich, especially with like anti-aging, I would say a really rich night cream with like a little sprinkle of retinol. Because what I I find with this climate is I can't hit the retinols really hard here because people are already peeling just from living here. So if I just throw people on a tretinoin here, I'm not joking. Their face is like road rash. (laughs) So it's not even really possible. I mean, so I have to do lots of, most of the products that I have, have like sprinkles of retinol in them so that you're getting the hydration first and then the retinol second. Mm
0: -hmm. So it's a little bit
1: buffered. Yeah. Yeah. And then oil cleansing. I really, not all oil cleansers are good, but the one I use Mm -hmm. is really good from PCA. So I like to use an oil cleanser or cream cleanser Um, And then something that's like a good exfoliator that's not too abrasive, like something with a lactic acid in it, um, something with like a 5% glycolic or salicylic in it, like a low percentage acid, like a multi-acid pad. I have those that I created. So I, I don't know. I just think it's a delicate balance of like gentle exfoliation, lots of hydration, and then tons of sunscreen because we live at almost 9,000 feet and um, the sun doesn't have to travel as far to hit our skin here. Mm. So I usually will have my clients because we have 300 sunny days per year. I'll usually have them on maybe one or two sunscreens, if not three. And I know that sounds extreme, but just the damage that I see here is like, it's like living on Mars. It's like living on a different planet.
0: No, it is so extreme with mm-hmm. the lack of humidity and the cold and just the, the harshness of that, let alone the sun on top of it, that you're like in a very extreme <laughs> environment where yeah. if you can treat skin there, you can probably treat skin anywhere.
1: Yeah. I think the proof is in the pudding, like the products that we use here, like if they don't work here, you feel it right away. So, you know, yeah. the yeah. day you use something, you're like, this isn't going to work.
0: Right. Right. Okay. And I also want to pick your brain on products. And I want to talk about your skincare line too. When it comes to choosing brands for your spa, how do you decide what to pick or, or how did you decide to bring on PCA or other brands that you carry?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think when you're first starting your own practice, you're probably on a budget. So most people will pick one skincare line, which is probably the smarter way to go about it, if you can find one that does all the different skin concerns that you see in your treatment room. Um, In 2008, when I opened, it was before PCA had facial back bar. They only had peels at the time. So I knew 100% that I wanted to offer those no downtime peels just because of how dry it was and people didn't want to be peeling a lot. So Mm -hmm. I started with PCA peels because I needed the corrective aspect. I needed the peels. I needed that clinical grade, kind of medical grade um, thing that I could uh, give my clients and guarantee a result with all those different skin concerns. But then I also felt Mm -hmm. like I wanted something a little bit luxurious kind that kind of reminded me of California and that first spa resort I worked at with all the yummy smells and all the <sighs> yummy feels and botanical oils and essential oils, but also had that anti-aging aspect and that healing, nourishing side of it. So for me, I picked up a Akira and PCA because they were like a marriage. They were like the perfect marriage of both worlds. And I wanted to have both relaxation and results. So for me, that's why I did the two lines to start. Um, And then over time, I evolved to do mineral makeup lines just because the type of acne I would see was caused by most of the makeup they were using that was over the counter or department store brands. So that's why I started carrying um, a couple different mineral makeup lines was because it was the only way that I could do an acne peel. And. And guarantee that they weren't going to break out more. Because if they went home and used L'Oreal or Sephora or whatever on their face, um, it kind of undid everything I had done in the treatment room. So I never really wanted to carry that many things, but it just, I kind of needed to for my clients. And then creating my line was more of the high altitude niche that I was needing to tap that I felt like. No other line I had had the moisturizer that was heavy enough for this climate. So I wanted mine to be the creme de la creme de la creme of like butter balm, but also work too and get, and get rid of sunspots Uh and get rid of wrinkles and get rid of redness. I needed it to be corrective clinical grade, but also luxurious and emollient so that's kind of why I came up with my own skincare line was, it was, I had worked with all these other lines and I was like, what if I created something that I hadn't seen before? Mm-hmm. There was a little bit of a gap there. So
0: yes, I yes. You don't want to compete. <laughs> no. And right. It's like, you don't want to compete with retail you're already offering. So a really smart approach, if anyone listening is thinking about creating their own line is to think about the gaps which I love that you talk about this Courtney think about what what's kind of missing what's that thing you wish you could offer your clients that they're asking about or that you notice maybe in your climate what's what's something that you don't have that you could create
1: mhm that's brilliant
0: yeah that's the way to do it it's the way to do it so you can obviously still Offer your existing retail and then position your own things mm-hmm, um, for sure. At, at the same time, yeah. So, Courtney, we've been through this little <laughs> journey of creating skincare lines together, and you yes. led the charge. How <laughs> how was it? Like looking back, is there anything you would do differently? Any surprises?
1: No, I honestly feel like it's the best thing I've ever done because. <laughs> I tried so many different labs first. I tried hundreds and hundreds of samples um, on different skin types and myself and my husband and all of our friends. And, you know, I was, I just couldn't stop trying things. So when I finally found the one, I felt like it was the one for me and it was going to work perfectly Mm -hmm. for this climate and my clientele. Yeah. And. I knew I wanted my name to be on it just because I didn't want any it to be offered anywhere else, but in my spa. So I thought that would create some nice loyalty and exclusivity and it's worked brilliantly that way. And I wanted to do, I know you've started with um, maybe releasing like smaller amounts of products at once. So you yeah. don't overwhelm your clients, which is really smart. Maybe I would have done that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um well- I think it depends
0: what's manageable and I think you're also in a different position where you have a fully, you have a spa that's running, you could come out with 12 things and people would buy them. Mm -hmm. For me, just launching online, I think I realized I have to be very strategic about the launches and selfishly didn't want to overwhelm myself. So that's honestly, congratulations to you because that's a big undertaking to take on that many products.
1: Well, thank you. It's just, I just see it in my mind. Like I just had a vision of like, I wanted it to be a collection. I wanted it to be this anti-aging hydration, uh, luxurious collection that, stemmed from about 12 to 15 products. And so different types of cleansers, different types of serums, different types of moisturizers, and then a sunscreen and a mist. So I kept it pretty basic um, in that regard. But but yeah, it was really fun. I wouldn't have done anything different. I was stuck in Costa Rica. I was <laughs> just being creative all day going, ooh, what should I call this serum? Or what should I call this cleanser? And um, I liked... I'm a very like hippie nature girl. So I thought, what if I just my two favorite places in the world are Costa Rica and Colorado, my two homes that I go back and forth between. So what if I let nature inspire this line, even though it's not a natural line per se, it's a clinical grade line, but I thought it'd be really beautiful visually to have each product represent one of those two places. So like for Costa Rica, I have like waterfall quench or rainforest mist, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then for Colorado, I have like evergreen calming serum and alpenglow hydrator and things that are only nature elements that are only seen here in the mountains. So that was kind of the vision I had for the line. It was really fun to create that.
0: I feel like it. You, it's perfectly. Branded to you and your business. And thank you. I'm so so proud of you. I know. No, seriously, it's not easy. And you do so much. So thank you. I'm so proud of you. And thank you for for being you and just all of the wisdom that you share. And I think we're going to have to come have you back to come on another time so we can talk more in depth
1: you're the absolute best tessa and i literally you're my favorite person on instagram oh. i adore you like i fangirl you more than it's probably healthy <laughs> but i honestly just more. felt a connection with you the minute that we met online and yeah i just love every single thing you do it's very inspiring um it's very fresh and i'm just grateful to know you so thank you for having mm-hmm. me
0: Yes. Thank you so much for saying yes. And I know it was something new and it probably seemed scary, but hopefully it wasn't scary.
1: No, it's only, <laughs> only not scary because of who you are.
0: <laughs> well, Court, thank you so, so much for sharing all that you did. And yes, it was, it was wonderful having you on and finally hearing more of your story.
1: Oh, Court, we need yeah. you
0: to shout out where people can find you.
1: Oh, yeah. Hello. Um, <laughs> your website. Yeah. And I just wanted to encourage your listeners too. like if anybody is um, starting out and feeling a little nervous about op- opening their own spa and if they have any questions or need any support, um, they can just message me anytime. I have people that do that all the time. So I'm here um, to help because I know it's a very scary but fun adventure to start And I'm just excited to see all the new estheticians like going off on their own. That makes me very happy. So if anybody ever needs anything, I'm here. And then you can find me on my website, which is alpenglowskinspa.com or on Instagram, which is alpenglowskinspa. And that's spelled A-L-P-E-N-G-L-O-W. And it means when the sun is setting or rising on the high mountain peaks and it turns the whole mountain bright pink and orange. And it's the most gorgeous thing you've ever seen. That's Glow.
0: Oh, I love it. <laughs> love it. Well, thank you, Court. We will link all of that information below so you guys can just click on the show notes and go to Courtney's profile, but she's the best. Seriously, go give her a follow. I learned so much from her. Her social media is
1: beautiful. Thank you. So she's got cool. it going on you're the best Tess. Okay. Love (laughs) you. Talk to you soon.
0: Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye guys.